Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, so that we can help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. You can always join us in person each Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 here on our beautiful campus in Rock Spring, Georgia. Today I want to talk about joy. Now, now, now when I talk about joy, I want to define two words right off the bat, joy and happiness, because we get those two confused, and sometimes they're interchangeably, but really they're not, but I'm going to almost use them interchangeably today because there's some uh, verses we're going to look at that a little bit use them interchangeably, but there is a difference between joy and happiness, a little difference. So happiness is based on our happenings in our lives, our surroundings in our lives, and so here's what happiness is about. Happiness is about whether you're in a low-stress situation or a high-stress situation, and you're Happiness is inversely correlated to your stress level. So here's what I mean. You come home one day and your stress level's up here. You know what that's like, right? I don't have to explain that, but you get it. The kids are terrible. You've had 12 soccer games that afternoon and your wife's in a bad mood. Your husband's in a bad, bad mood. The dog bick somebody. Like, it's just been a bad, bad day. Where's your happiness level? It's way down here. Then you come home the next day and you got happiness uh, and man, everybody's happy. Kids went to McDonald's and all the toys were in the bags. I mean, it's all going well and, 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 and husband's in good mood, wife's in a good mood and the dog's, I mean, it's all going well. Where's the happiness level? Happiness level's up here. Inverse correlation between the two. That's happiness. That's not joy. When the stress level's up here, happiness is low. When the stress level's down here, happiness is high. And joy ought to always run between those two things. Joy is the Christian life that doesn't waver, that it's a steady from the Lord, that it's steadfast from the Lord, that joy stays in the middle, that though my happenings may be great, uh, stress may be great, I still have joy, and my happiness may be low, but my stress may be low, but I still have joy. So I want to talk about that joy today. Now I'm going to give, I've never given this disclaimer before and I want to give it today when I talk about discouragement, depression, and happiness and joy. Listen carefully, uh, I, I'm not, what I'm giving you today is not a substitute for a doctor's advice who may be or, or may need to be treating you. And if you came to me and you said, preacher, I need to talk to you, I'm really discouraged and depressed, the very first thing I'm going to say to you is before you talk to me, go to the doctor. I say it to everybody. I say it whether I know you or whether I don't know you, that if you're discouraged or depressed, go to the doctor. Because it may be, like this is legit, it may be your vitamin D levels are so low, which is a thing uh, in our deal, and, and your vitamin D levels are so low that you may need a shot of vitamin D, and your doctor may give you some uh, vitamin D pills for you to take and raise it back up, because vitamin D affects your mood, and it can make you bad, and your doctor doesn't check for that normally, unless you ask him to check for that. So everybody go to the doctor this week and get their vitamin D checked, and that's my public service announcement for the day. But when it comes to joy and depression and discouragement and happiness, listen to me. The Bible has the right to speak into this space. The God has a right to be heard. Why? Because the Christian life is supposed to be a life of joy. Hear me, the Christian life is supposed to be a life of joy. And I can prove it to you because Jesus said it in John 15, 11. He said, I've told you these things so that you may be filled with joy, filled with my joy. Yes, and your joy will overflow. 
that you may be filled with my joy and your joy. We're told two things there. That number one, we ought to be filled with joy and that joy ought to overflow. <laughs> what does that mean, preacher? Here's what it means. The word filled with joy is a great word in the Greek. It's the same word that's used other places in John and it's translated abide or remain. So here's what he's saying, that you ought to have the joy of Jesus abiding in your heart. The joy of Jesus remaining in your heart. Or get this, the joy of Jesus, remember that line I drew a minute ago? The joy of Jesus, a constant in your heart. That, that here's the normal Christian life. The normal Christian life is for you and for me, no matter what our circumstances are, no matter what our happenings are, that the joy of Jesus is the constant in our life. Now, he's not saying that when the stress level's up here that you ought to come home all happy and all get out. No, we know happiness depends on happenings, but even when the stress level's high, the joy of Jesus ought to remain in your life so that people look at you and say, why can you have a smile on your face with all that's going on in your life? That's what he means when he said, be filled with joy. You ought to have a constant in your life. You ought to have an abiding of joy in your life. But it takes it a step further, and he says that you ought to have joy that overflows. Now, get this. Here's what it means. Literally, in the original language, it means you ought to have joy left over. You say, well, why do I need joy left over? Because you're going to meet somebody who needs some of your joy. Because let me tell you what we typically do. Somebody comes up to you and they say, well, let me tell you, I'm having a bad day. And here's what you say. You say, you think your day's bad. You ought to have had my day. And that's not what we ought to do. We ought to say, you know what? That sounds like a terrible day. Guess what? Because of Jesus, I got some joy left over to give you today. Let, let me encourage you in the Lord. That's joy left over. You ought to have a constant joy in your life. You ought to have a joy left over. And can I say this? Here's what Jesus will say to you. That's the normal Christian life. That's the normal Christ-following life. Is joy as a constant in my life and joy left over, but that's not really where we are and that's not where we are in America. As a matter of fact, we can't really find too much of a statistical difference. I'll show you a little one a little bit later on the sermon between those who are following Christ and those who are not, but let me show you where we are in America. Here's where we are in America. According to data from the 2017 National Survey on Drug Use and Health, 17.3 million adults in the U.S. have experienced a major depressive episode, get this, in the past year, just the past year, past year. 11 million U.S. adults experienced an episode that resulted in severe impairment in the last year. Severe impairment, just again, past year. Suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the United States. Horrible, horrible. It's the second leading cause of death among people ages 10 to 34. And listen to me carefully, whether you're a teenager or whether you're an adult, you must hear me that suicide is never the answer to any problem you have. And I want to quote what Brian Fawcett said when he preached the funeral of his future son-in-law who committed suicide right before, the, uh, a couple days before the wedding. Brian said this, and it's so true. He said, suicide doesn't get rid of the pain. It just transfers it from you to someone else now. It's never the answer, but that's where we are. Among, across the board, 10th leading cause of death. Amongst millennials, it's the second leading cause. 3.1 million people have, uh, between the ages of 12 and 17 have experienced at least one major depressive episode in the past year in the U.S. And get this, depression is the leading cause of disability worldwide. Disability worldwide. And it costs the economy $210 billion per year. $210 billion per year. Pun intended, those are some discouraging statistics. But let's be honest, almost everybody in this room, 
let me just, let me drop almost every person in this room will be affected by discouragement at some in their lives at some point you will be you will get discouraged i will get discouraged at some point in our lives we will probably many multiple points in our lives will be affected by discouraging and discouragement and it can have a devastating effect on our lives and we know how bible the bible even agrees and here's a bible verse i've <laughs> excuse me i've only ever read the first part of the verse but it's uh, proverbs 17:22 I, I read the first part and ignored the second part a cheerful heart is a good medicine right amen a good laugh goes a long ways can i get amen right there amen but really it's the second part I should have been paying attention to that a, a broken spirit saps a person's strength. Discouragement has this way of stealing the, the life out of you. It'll steal the strength for your work. It'll steal the strength for your family. It'll steal the strength for your church. It'll steal the strength for your walk with God. But listen carefully, don't hurt your feelings, but here's what you need to know. Some of our discouragement is under our own control. And oftentimes when we are discouraged, it's because we have been sowing the wrong seed in our lives and now we are reaping the wrong garden in our lives. We have been sowing that discouragement and now we're reaping it in joy. Joy is not something you conjure up at a comedy show. Joy is something you plant today so you can reap it tomorrow. And you plant it daily so you can have the fruit in your daily life, in the good times and in the hard times. In the good times and in the hard times. So what I want to do today, and this should have been a whole sermon series, when you submitted questions to me in the summer, joy and discouragement was one of the things that you listed a lot, but I want to try to help you today in one sermon, and I want to give you five things that'll help you plant joy in your life on a daily basis, and I don't always say you to write things down, but I would really encourage you to write these down because you're going to need them today, you're going to need them tomorrow, and you're going to want to put these in your Bible and just know it, and I'm going to skip all through the Bible, and uh, hey, can I say this? I'm going to give you the number one thing science and the Bible agree on at the end of the sermon. The number one thing science and the Bible agree on that'll help you with joy in your life. But can I say something? Some of these things are going to be hard to hear. Point number one, especially, is going to be hard to hear. So I just need you to buckle up, understand I'm trying to help you. And if you continue on the way you're continuing on, you're not going to have any joy in your life at all. So we can't do what we've always done and get different results. So how do we break the pattern and get joy in our lives? Let me give you five things that's going to have to happen. Five things you're going to plant. I'll explain that as we go. Number one, if you want joy in your life, you've got to get off the me train. You've got to get off the me train. Now I want to read Romans 8. It's, it's in the message. I never, ever use Eugene Peterson's the message, but I want to today because it, it really makes a point. Look at what it says. Look on the screen. Obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. Obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. Attention to God leads us into the open, into a spacious free life. Focusing on the self life is the opposite of focusing on God. Anyone completely absorbed in self ignores God, ends up thinking more about self than God. That person ignores who God is and what he's doing. That person ignores who God is and what he is doing. Now, let me say this. One of the reasons we can't find joy is we have made joy, uh, we have made our lives all about ourselves. What do you mean? Our lives is all about our happiness. Our lives are all about our will. Our lives are all about our pleasures and our comfort and our purpose. It is a me, me, me. And we wind up with a self a, 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 an obsession of self that has led, as Romans said, to an emotional dead end, a spiritual dead end, a relationship dead end. And when you obsess with self, you'll never find joy and or person, purpose in life. And here's what you'll discover. 
When you're obsessed with self, what made you happy today will not make you happy tomorrow. I can prove that to you. Did anybody this week watch the iPhone event? Did anybody watch the Apple event where they unveil the new phone? Come on, admit it, because I do. Anybody else? All right, so a bunch of us do. So, I mean, I like watching, me and a couple of the guys, we like watching it, and some guys think that's strange, but, I mean, we worked and watched it all at the same time, and uh, we like, um, uh, so we, we like it, and so, so we watched it, and here's what I know. I have, an, I have a piece of junk iPhone 10 now. It's a piece of junk. They got this fancy new phone in a midnight green color that's coming out this year with a, with a f- matte back on it. And it's got a cool three camera there and I can do a slofie. Have you seen the slofies? I can take a selfie now. My hair will be blowing in the wind or somebody's hair will be blowing in the wind and you know, and, and, and I can do all sorts of neat things with it. And all I have is this piece of junk phone. I, I, I've wanted all morning to drop this intentionally and I wanted like a brick right there so I could drop it and uh, shatter it and then say, well, honey, I broke it for the Lord. I'm going to have to get a new phone. But she's been sitting there all morning. So that hasn't worked. It's been awkward. And here's the deal. I bought this phone two years ago. And two years ago, this phone made me happy. The day I could care less about that phone. It's a piece of junk. Because <laughs> what made me happy yesterday and when we get too absorbed with ourselves what made us happy yesterday doesn't make us happy today and hey who who made us happy yesterday doesn't make us happy today and listen listen anything that doesn't go right in our lives upsets us disproportionately hear me upsets us disproportionately we live in a day and age where grown adults can't take any stress whatsoever and the reason we can't is because we're obsessed with ourselves to the point of we can't handle any pressure, we can't handle any stress. I miss the great generation. Y'all miss the great generation? The one that went through the Great Depression and, and won World War II for us? Nothing upset that group of people. Nothing did. It bear charge them, they'd kill it. They didn't care, man. They were just, they just, we've been through worse is what they'd say. And, and now we have people that are so obsessed with us. I mean, they, Apple has designed its new phone to be really good at one thing. You know what that is? A selfie. Why? Because we are unnaturally absorbed with self. We are on the me train. I want to tell you, when you're on the me train, you you have all these negative thoughts in your mind. And here's the things you always think on the me train. Look at all the bad things that have happened to me. And look at all the people who don't like me. And look at all the ways I didn't get what I wanted. Look at all the things that have been done wrong to me. And that's never, ever going to lead to joy in your life. And the Bible's going to tell you that. And look, science is going to tell you that. Let me me quote science for a minute. Look at this. I, I absolutely love this stuff. In a new study published in the Journal of Research and Personality, psychologists recorded 60 to 90 minute therapy sessions and found that individuals who use more of first person singular pronouns, you say, what are those? I and me, were actually more likely to suffer from depression. People, People who kept using I and me were more likely to suffer from depression. You say, what's wrong with my marriage? This could be it. One study revealed that (laughs) the excessive use of I and me can lead to marital dissatisfaction. And another study shows that it is also linked with greater social anxiety. So unhappy marriage, depression, anxiety, where does that come from? We are on the me train and all we can think about is I, me, and mine. 
If you're on the me train, you're headed for discouragement. You say, all right, big boy, what should we be focused on? I'm glad you asked. Because we used to teach this song. My wife and I used to drive a church bus. I drove a 66 passenger bus when I was 20 years old. We did a bus route and picked up kids and brought them to church. We used to teach them a song that taught this. Jesus first, yourself last, and others in between. Jesus first, yourself last, and others in between. And some of you today, that hits you so hard, you can't even reconcile that in your mind. You're going crazy just because you're thinking about yourself in third place. You say, well, preacher, I, my, 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 my therapist told me to go find myself. Found you. There you are. You're good. You're good. Right there you are. I see you. You're good. Matter of fact, that new, your old iPhone will even find where you are. Just hit find friends and look where you are. It'll find you where you are. Found you. You're good. Now quit staring at yourself and get Jesus in the property, proper priority of your life. Get others in the proper priority of their lives. We always find greater joy when our focus is not on ourselves, but others. There's an old Chinese proverb that says this, you want happiness for an hour, take a nap. If you want happiness for a day, go fishing. If you want happiness for a year, inherit in fortune. If you want happiness for a lifetime, help somebody. For centuries, all the great thinkers, and today, all the research shows us this, that a focus on something other than ourselves makes all the difference. Again, I'm not going to do studies all day long, but according to a study in social science and medicine, a person who volunteers more than monthly but less than weekly is 12% more likely to report being very happy. We just looked at very happy. And a person who volunteers weekly, 16% more likely to report being happy. And here, Pew Research tells us that uh, they just released a research that the religious attendance not religious affiliation, but religious attendance was consistently linked to a higher levels of happiness than for, than for those around the world who claimed no faith. Here's what that means. Jesus first, Jesus first, yourself last and others in between. Jesus first, yourself last and others in between. So here's what I'm trying to tell you today. You want to have joy in your life, you've got to plant seeds of J-O-Y in your life. Jesus first, yourself last, others in between. That means every single day you ought to go all in on Jesus and make your relationship with Jesus the number one priority in your life and walking with Jesus the number one priority in life. You ought to commit to Jesus and commit to the church and commit to walking with him and commit to loving him. That will bring you joy. And you say, well, preacher, I come second. No, don't even put yourself second. Put others second. Find somebody else who needs your help. Find somebody else who needs your encouragement. Find somebody else who needs your love. Jesus first, others second. And do that every single day. And guess who it benefits? It benefits you. Because if you'll do that every day and plant Jesus first and others second, you reap the harvest of joy in your life then and in the years and days and months to come. Number one, get off the me train. Number two, repair relationships. Philippians 2.2, Paul said this, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Now, let me tell you what Paul said to be <coughs> of one mind in chapter two, because in chapter four, Paul's going to tell them to be of one mind again, but he's telling two ladies who are in a church, not down, drag out fight. I, I don't know that they did, but I imagine a hair pulling fight. You know, the kind of high school that happened around the lockers, two girl fights were the best, man. They'd pull hair and I mean, like we just sit around and watch because you're a little scared of them, you know, and, and, and they'd sit around and pull hair and all that. 
And there's two ladies in the church. They done got into one of those fights. And Paul's telling them in chapter four, hey, I need y'all to stop it and get of one mind. But Paul, like any smart man, is easing his way into the conversation. So he says it in verse chapter two, hey, everybody's happier when everybody's in one mind. Now, here's why I'm saying that. Broken relationships make everyone unhappy. One of the reasons we don't have more joy in our lives is we have too much conflict in our lives. And I know I've had people tell me, and you're probably thinking this too, well, preacher, I wouldn't have so much conflict in my life, but everybody around me is a jerk. Can I tell you something? Come here, come here, just us, come here. If everybody around you is a jerk, it may not be them. What do you think? It could be you. That's what I'm saying. It could be you. You may be the jerk. Because when you constantly have that conflict in your life, let me tell you what you got to stop and do. Let me tell you a secret. Start repairing relationships. Start working on relationships. Do not live in a cloud of conflict. And when a relationship goes wrong, fix it immediately. Heard about a husband, man, he was excited about their wedding anniversary, 25th. And he, and he says to his wife out of the blue, he said, honey, our 25th is coming up soon. Where would you like to go for our anniversary? And she just mind blown. This dude remembered our 25th. He remembered it early. She just got so excited, teary-eyed, and she said, oh, honey, we've went a lot of places in life. Let's go somewhere we haven't been in a long time. He said, great. I'll walk you into the kitchen. (laughs) The relationship needed repaired. And when you have a relationship that needs repaired, repair it. Sow seeds of peace in your life, sow seeds of harmony in your life, sow seeds of love in your life. Get a big dose of it ain't none of my business in your mind. Get a big dose of I don't care in your mind. And can I say this? Listen, listen, everybody look this way. I've not seen anything. I've not been told anything. I just know how this works. Please tell me if you did this this morning or you, I haven't seen it. I don't know it. You have time to delete it before I see it. All right. I have not seen it at anybody. I just know how people are. People are. I, as a matter of fact, in the last month, I've barely been on social media at all in the last month. But listen, quit telling people off on Facebook. Stop it. Like today, stop it. Go back and delete some others. And if you have an inordinate amount of posts that start off with, I shouldn't say this, but. They need to go. You say, well, what would you do? My, my bad boy came out of Publix and he loaded and he threw the groceries in my car and broke my egg. I, I, t- I, I tell you what I do. I tip him well and invite him to church. I tip him well and I invite him to church. If he made me so angry, I couldn't do that. I'm not taking it to Facebook because the soul is more important than you getting offended. We're a little bit on the me train and you're sowing seeds of conflict. And when you sow seeds of conflict, you're never going to reap joy in your life. Don't damage relationships. Don't look, don't be a, a warmonger. Be, be a person of peace and repair the relationships you can. Number three, get right with God. You say, well, now that's a little personal. Yeah, but let me tell you the story. Psalm 51, 12, David said this, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. 
Restore to me <laughs> the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. And let me tell you where we are. The King David is on the throne. And let me just tell you what David did. It's, it's inappropriate, but I'm just going to say it. David has committed adultery. And in order to cover up his sin of adultery, he's murdered the wife of Bathsheba, whom he had an affair with. And so he's committed adultery with Bathsheba. He's murdered her husband. And now they've gotten married and had a baby and the baby died. And David has been sitting on the throne like no big deal, but he's miserable inside because he knows this was the man that is a man after God's own heart, even after this. And so a prophet comes to David and he tells him a sob story. And he said, David, what are you going to do about this situation? And David said, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to let him have it. And the guy said, well, hey, slow down. Uh, you're the guy. The King James says it best. Thou art the man. And when David heard, heard those words, I believe with all my heart that Psalm 51, that David immediately turned around, went behind the throne, got on his knees, and it came out in a flood, and David began to pray a prayer of repentance. And we begin to pray a prayer of repentance in Psalm 51. He gets to verse number 12, and his life has been miserable. His sin has been miserably weighing upon him. And guess what? It's been taking all of his joy. So when he gets to verse 12, he says something you need to hear that I need to keep in my mind. He said, I want my joy back. I used to be excited about my salvation. I used to be excited about my walk with God. And my sin has destroyed the joy of my salvation. David said, God, forgive me and give me the joy of my heart back. And listen, one reason we can't have joy in our lives is that we are living with open and unconfessed sin in our lives. And sin will never bring joy to the child of God. It will never bring joy to the child of God. It always brings conviction. It always brings misery. And so here's the end of this point. I'm just going to hit it and move on. You may need to sow some seeds of confession in your life in order for the joy to return. You may not have joy until you get rid of that sin in your life, till you confess that sin in your life, until you get your heart right with God. Number four, if you want joy in your life, live in the Spirit. Galatians 5, and 23 says this, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. I, I memorized it in the King James, so that's how it comes out. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And here's what Paul said, that if you are filled with the spirit, there are nine marks of being filled with the spirit. You don't have to do these. They naturally are who you are. Here's what happens. It's the spirit living in me and through me, in me and through me, in me and through me, right? So when I'm filled with the Spirit of God, it's what the Spirit does in me and through me. Happens in me first, comes out of me. Happens in me, comes out of me. And when you're filled with the Spirit of God, you don't have to work up love. You don't have to work up peace. You don't even have to pray, God, let me be a loving person. No, you just get filled with the Spirit. And all nine of these things happen in your life. There are the nine clear evidences of, uh, of God being in your life. But, so let me, for example, if you, there, I, I can tell whether you're filled with the Spirit. Here's why. If you're short-tempered and constantly lashing out at people and angry, you're not filled with the Spirit. Why? Because the fruit of the Spirit is peace and long-suffering and kindness and goodness. And if you're short-tempered and angry, you're not walking with God filled with the Spirit. That's, that's not me. That's the Bible. You're unkind to people. 
Not filled with the Spirit. You're a warmonger. Conflict follows you. You're making conflict everywhere you go. That peace rules that out. Not that you're never going to not get along with somebody, but if you're causing it all the time. But get this, one of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Now, all of that is considered the fruit, singular, of the Spirit. But one of the evidences is joy. Here's what that means. For the Christian, when you are walking with God, full of the Holy Spirit of God, the natural byproduct of that is joy. Now, get this. The normal Christian life is joy. You say, what does it mean to be living in the Spirit? It doesn't mean you need more of the Spirit. It means the Spirit needs more of you. So I'm hitting it moving on. You need to sow the seed of living in the Spirit every day of your life. And the natural byproduct is joy. And the closer you get to God and the more of you he gets... The natural byproduct of that. Can I tell you that if you live a guilty distance from the Lord, joy is never, the cold Christian life never produces joy. Show the fifth thing. And I'm finished. Number five, grow gratitude. Colossians 1.12, in giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. I just put that verse in there because we often in the Bible find joy and thanksgiving together, joy and gratitude together. Paul has them together here. It's just a fact that nothing produces joy in a person's heart like gratitude. And on this, the Bible and science agree. Let me read you a study and I'm done. I'm going to read you four, four, three sentences actually. And so I don't like to read stuff to you, but let me do it this morning. Read you three sentences because a guy named Sean Aker, who's a professor at Harvard University, actually wrote a book on this. And he, 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 he talked about a study that was done where they asked people to set aside five minutes a day for one week to practice gratitude. So here, here it is. Three sentences. Just listen to me for three sentences. He cites a one-week study in which people were asked to take five minutes a day at the same time every day to write down three things they were thankful for. They didn't have to be big things, but they had to be concrete and specific, such as I'm thankful for the delicious meal. I'm thankful my daughter gave me a hug, or I'm thankful that my boss complimented my work. The participants simply expressed thanks for three specific things at the same time every day. And listen, they did it for a week and they had a control group up with it. But, but so here's what they did. Every day, every week, same time, write down three things you're thankful for. Very specific, uh, very concrete things. At the end of one month, the researchers followed up with those who had practiced gratitude, and after a month, they were happier and less depressed than they were before. Most of them stopped it after a week. Some of them continued on. Most of them stopped it. But they were happier and less depressed a month later, but we're not done. Three months later, they went back and studied them again, and they came back as more joyful and more content than they were before they practiced it three months ago. We're not done yet. They came back six months later and they studied them again. They were still happier, less anxiety, and less depressed six months later for something they did for one week six months ago. One week six months ago. And they're still happier, less anxious, less depressed. And here's what they surmised that that stopping to have gratitude every day has long-lasting joyful effects. Planning gratitude, this amazes me, planning gratitude for one week led to six months of joy. Listen to me, you want to be less discouraged, less depressed, less despondent? 
You know what happens when you get in the zone, don't you? The discouragement zone. You know what happens when you get in the discouragement zone. Everybody's mad at you. Nobody likes me. Think I'll eat some worms. Remember that? Everybody's mad at me. Nobody likes me. Think I'll eat some worms. Everybody's mad at me. Nobody likes me. The world's coming against me. Think I'll eat some worms. That was a song we sang in grammar school uh, 40, uh, uh, 10 years ago. And so, and everybody likes, nobody hates me. Everybody hates me. Think I'll eat some worms. When you get in that zone, you're not thankful. Everybody's against you. The world doesn't like you. God's mad at you. And look, no, no, no. Stop. Plant gratitude in your life daily. Every single person in this room has something to thank God for every single day of your life. And if you'll grow gratitude in your life, plant gratitude today and you'll reap the harvest of gratitude. Months and months and months and years from now. And the reason we don't plant gratitude oftentimes we're on that me train. We're on that me train. No, stop, get off and plant gratitude. Here are the five things. Get off the me train, repair relationships, get right with God, live in the spirit, and grow gratitude. Close your Bibles and I'm finished. I'm gonna say something I, he- I hesitate to say. I, 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 I'm re- I, I'm literally, I'm a little nervous about saying, I've said it all three services and I've said this all three services. And I'm gonna say this and I want you to promise you'll pray for me before the day's over. If I tell you what I'm about to tell you, will you pray for me if you will say amen? Before the day's over. Because I, I know what happens. I say stuff like this in a sermon. The devil attacks me the same day. So I, I want to have my guard up and I want to be ready. And I want you praying for me. Uh, but here, here's the truth about me is I rarely get down. Like almost never. Never. Never get discouraged, depressed. And, and here's the deal. Now, I'm not talking about I have high stress days. We have a lot of stress going on in our lives right now. Like tons of stress in our life right now. I'm not talking about I don't reel when we get bad news. I don't reel when we have lost stress. Like all of us do that. All of us get high stress days and high stress news and high stress events and we all get shaken during those times. Me, you, and everybody included. Right? But in the normal functions of life, I keep a happy spirit and a positive attitude. You can ask my wife, and ask my kids, ask our staff. I just, I don't, I don't get down. I don't get discouraged. It's just rare. If, I, if I'm discouraged, uh, somebody needs to pay attention to me. Something's gone wrong, seriously, in my life. And I, I, don't, I don't like to say that because I know the enemy will attack with it soon. But I was preparing for this sermon, and I got to wondering, uh, Why? 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 Why don't I get down? And it's so the Lord kind of brought something to my mind. I'm just going to share it with you. It may or may not work for you, but every day when I pray life, I, there's certain things I pray for every day. I've told you about that a little bit. And every day my, when I do my <coughs> daily prayers, I, the last thing I do is Thanksgiving. The last thing I do is I, I pray two verses of Scripture out of Genesis. And I think I've shared one of those with you before. I pray two verses of scripture out of Genesis. And then I, I enter a time of Thanksgiving. I have a song I sing. I rotate through the song I sing in my prayer time. And right now I'm singing Shelby that God is so good in my prayer time. And so I'll click that on and then I'll, I'll sing that song. And then I start thanking God for things. And when I pray, every day when I pray, I go through 
Here's how I start off. I start yesterday morning and I go hour by hour through my day. I say, hey God, thanks for letting me get up yesterday, man. I got up on time and I got up feeling great and I, I got up with energy and Lord just woke up, had breath. A lot of people this morning didn't wake up. A lot of people this morning didn't live through last night, and, but you let me live through last night and I'm thankful for that. Give me a purpose in life and I just move through the day, move through the day. And I thank God for things that uh, yesterday, I thank God today for things that yesterday I wouldn't have thanked him for. That they were difficult in the hour. And a couple of weeks ago, I almost blew up a car and melted our house. And that's not, that's not a joke. And uh, had to have the car towed out of our house. And what was happening, wasn't real thankful for it at the time. But the next day, I'm like, hey, God, thank you. I could literally have burned the house down. I could literally have had a car fire. Um, thank you that I have an extra car at home. You know, and I went through the list of things. And I go hour by hour, day by day. Sherry and I get a night home. It's rare a lot of times if we get a night home. I'm like, hey, thanks that Sherry and I got to crash something last night. And I got to spend some time with her. Every day. Every day I thank God for my family. I start off with my wife. And I tell the Lord, hey, Lord, thank you for letting me marry Sherry. Man, I married over my head. I outpunted my coverage. I know it. I don't deserve her. She's too good for me. I got it, Lord. I get every day. She loves on me more than I deserve to be loved on. Lord, I'm so thankful for her. And I just name some things about her and then I call my daughters by name Savannah and Michaela thank you for them Lord I'm blessed I call my son-in-laws by name I thank God for them specific things and then I thank God I'm still thanking God for Jackson our grandson every day born in NIC you know born in, in, in NICU for weeks and weeks and, and and I still thank God hey Lord that could have gone a lot of different ways a lot of people in NICU that didn't have as good a news on the way out as what we had on the way out and Lord I'm just so thankful for that thank you he's a growing healthy boy right now and I thank God for the church and what we're experiencing here. And, and that list just goes on and on. There's a lot of things on that list. And I've never done it for the reason I'm preaching today. That's never crossed my mind. I've never connected the dots. But maybe it is. And by the way, that causes me throughout the day. My wife will tell you, we often stop and, and when we get bad news, here's what I do. And this is not always popular, but when we get bad news, I always stop and say, well, that's terrible. I hate that. But at least it wasn't as bad as it could have been. And I'll talk about how bad it could have been. And God let it not be quite that bad. So I'm thankful for where God is. And, and just maybe, just maybe, just maybe, I don't know, but just maybe I'm putting into practice what the Bible says and where science agrees. And maybe today I'm planting seeds of gratitude in my life that are helping me reap a harvest of joy on the normal day of life, a harvest of joy. Get off the me train, repair relationships that steal your joy, get right with God, sin steals your joy, live in the spirit, the normal Christian life is joy and grow some gratitude, plant gratitude today. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week, helping you to apply God's word to your daily life. For more information about Peavine, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and at our website, www.peavine.org. Thanks for listening.